outfit lock. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe it. Marshall gets away, Marshall gets away. Marshall's still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Davis on the outside. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle the only NRL podcast advocating for a version of The Bachelor starring Wayne Bennett. He wouldn't be the uh, single love interest, of course. Uh, There would be 12 Wayne Bennett's all vying for Darius Boyd's heart. I am your host, Damon Brown, and uh, today on the show, we don't exactly know what we're going to discuss. We assume it'll be the World Cup, Um, the fact that uh, the Manly Seagulls Club is on fire, and a few other bits and bobs. But before I do that, I have to introduce my two co-hosts. One is, of course... Dark Prince of Brookvale, Media Watch Barrio. Hello to you, sir. Hello to you. I'm a broken man today. You're going to be really raking over the coals of what I can only assume is your own intense grief, Mario. So do be prepared. But before we do that, we also have to introduce, of course, Xander Risotto, Rugby Union's answer to Rugby Union. How are you, mate? <laughs> Not too bad, mate. Um, I like that. Rugby Union's answer to, to Rugby Union. That's kind of like incompetence answer to incompetence, really. It's... Uh... <laughs> Quite a yeah, I mean, it, it seems quite apt, I think, with you. As Mario rightly pointed out in the last episode, it was you raising rugby union and AFL. I did that in homage to you, though. So if I can, can, can I raise can I raise basketball in homage to Mario? No, you can't. Oh. Now, guys, obviously we're a rugby league podcast, and I feel like I say that as a preamble to every show. Um, but I, it, it's, it's something I say right before a massive departure, because before we had a little mini production meeting, it went for about 90 seconds. And most of the bandwidth of that conversation was taken up with Russia for some reason, which we have been a little bit preoccupied with for obvious reasons. And I do want to bring this up before we kick into rugby league. I don't know if you saw this, but obviously we are all living under the sort of spectre of potential Armageddon at the moment with Russia. And um, and this is why I really love Ukrainian people at the moment, because I was reading a story right before we came on air that said that, that there's a, a whole bunch of Ukrainians signing up to what would be a mass orgy, probably the biggest orgy the world had ever seen, if Putin actually goes ahead with pressing the red button. So their response is, okay, if he's going to, you know, annihilate the world, let's all get into at least one last group fuck. And I've got to respect that. That's what it's all about. That's that's what life is, is just, you know, with a nuclear bomb falling over you, have, have you... Have yourself get, you know, inside of as many people as possible as, as the bomb falls. That seems perfectly irrational. It sounds like you're into that, Mario. When in Kiev, do as the Kievans do. Which is to usually mash a chicken Kiev all over your genitals before fucking someone up the ass. Well, well Joel Monaghan would probably approve of that sort of idea. Yeah, although he, this time he probably wouldn't let a dog lick it off. He'd probably go with a grizzly. That makes sense. But enough about Russia. Uh, we need to talk about something far more bleak. And, of course, I refer to uh, the state of affairs in Brookvale. Now, look, we've got someone on the show who um, is is intimately close to this issue. Uh, it is Mario. You guessed correctly. Uh, Mario, we go to you first here. Um, now, on the last show, if my memory serves me correctly, you said something along the lines of, if Anthony Seabold has made the coach of Manly, um, you'd have to go for a long, a long job, uh, turn off all your podcasts, get away from rugby league media, um, and just hope that it didn't happen. Now, it does look as though this is becoming closer to reality. Now, it doesn't just seem to be a news-limited agenda. I think I'm seeing this coming from a few different 
media agencies. What's your read on it? If it does go ahead, do you still stand by your first answer that you'd had a mental breakdown? Uh, I've been on the verge of it the last couple of days, ever since Scott Penn did that disastrous interview yesterday, I think it was. I could not believe my eyes. It just watching this guy just throw the club under the bus with this smile on his face. And he genuinely thought that he was doing the best thing. And he, I, I love the way that he's fallen for this phony Harvard degree and described Anthony Seabold as a, as a very intelligent guy, which he made it sound as opposed to Des. And I mean, listeners of this pod would know that I was team Des out long before it was cool. Unfortunately, now I'm please, please, please stay Des because, you know, he's not perfect, but oh my God, he's not Anthony Seabold. You know, Brisbane had never won a wooden spoon and Seabold took them from eighth place straight to the spoon. So what's Seabold going to achieve at Manly when we finished 11th? In the first ever 17-team comp, he's going to find a way for us to finish 18th. Well, yeah, he might find a way for you to get relegated. Now, um, for the people listening who may not be familiar with the Penn interview, can you give them the gist? Oh, look, Penn started the interview by almost talking around the questions like a proper politician. And and when they said, is Des gone? He was saying, oh, we've got, we've got a, a long way to go to reach a resolution on that. But then a few sentences later, as good as said, Des is gone and almost straight away. He didn't say the words, but it was so strongly implied. And then when they asked, you know, is is Seabold the guy? He he basically, he never talked about anybody else. It was just, oh, Seabold's a great candidate and we're really excited about him. He's, you know, he's been at Manly before and we we love what he has to offer, which just ignores that the last time he was at Manly, he was an assistant coach and we finished 15th. Scott Penn, not really playing his cards close to his chest there, Xander. Now, uh, last week, obviously, you had some pretty choice words about Anthony Seabold, and they they weren't kind to his coaching record. Now that this looks to be coming a bit closer to fruition, do you think it's a fair call? No. (laughs) It seems like an absolute disaster. Uh, I really don't know what else needs to be said, to be honest. It just... It's it's heading into car crash territory. I mean, it's it's kind of tragic and, you know, uh, somehow a little bit morbidly... uh, Morbidly enthralling at the same time. Sorry, Maria, but it, it's uh, yeah, it, it's just a mess. I, I just don't say we're out of it. Well, I have to say this, fellas. We haven't even got to the really bad part yet, uh, which is revelations today that Laurie Daly has been approached to be a mentor. I, I love Laurie Daly as a player. Um, I don't see him as a bad guy, but I have to say, any time I hear him talk about the game, he just seems to have, in my view anyway, zero idea about the game. Um, you know, he he obviously took over the New South Wales Blues at one point, not to much acclaim, and I had a bad feeling about that going into it when all he talked about was structures. Um, I thought this guy doesn't really know a lot. Now he does a lot of sort of sports bet stuff, and he, even his tips are bad. So to have him come in as some kind of Spengali-type character over the top of Anthony Seabold, it just seems like a recipe for absolute hell. I've seen a few sort of conflicting reports. I mean, there's nothing set in stone about what Laurie Daly would or wouldn't be doing at the club, but I think a couple of stories seem to suggest that he was either in control of our going to be in control of our pathways or roster management somewhere in that zone. Now, let's just 
hypothetically say that he's in charge of roster management and remember what his roster management was like when he was managing the roster for New South Wales Blues. And we remember remember back to how bad a job Freddie has done the last few years, throwing away two unlosable series, and yet has still done a much better job of that than Laurie Daly did. So I don't think that speaks super highly to his abilities in the area. Yeah, I might be misremembering this, but I feel like Laurie Daly might have won one. Did he win that one series? I feel like he was coaching them, right, in the middle of that sea of maroon. Uh, going 2014, I think. Yeah, I think, I think Laurie Daly was at the helm there, wasn't he? And even that was... He was. I'm not sure that was the right lineup that series either, but it worked. But this is the guy who picked Mitchell Pierce every other year apart from the one that we won. And so, you know, we win a series and what did he do? He immediately picks Mitchell Pierce again, who immediately just, you know, <laughs> lost us another series or two. It, the, no, no. I just don't, I mean, Des made many mistakes the last couple, last few years in his selections, but he still overall got it right, even if it wasn't perfect. You know, we were mostly arguing over, over little things that I thought could be better. But I, I feel like we've gone from, you know, not perfect to outright disaster territory. Murray, you might know this better than I do, but, you know, from the outside looking in, Des always strikes me as the kind of guy who's a bit of a control freak, kind of wants to control every element. And the little bits that I have heard about his coaching style suggest that he could be a little bit like that. He's a bit manic with his statistical data and the devices and um, doesn't necessarily have a huge team around him. Is that accurate? Is my perception on the money there? It doesn't sound. It doesn't sound incorrect. He's certainly been a a lot about statistics, statistical analysis, and he does micromanage to a degree for sure. But you know, I think the problem is he's some of his team around him have been. He sticks with his mates, and I think a lot of people do that, and it's fine when your mates are great at their job. But when your mates are when you when your strength and conditioning guru is an anti-vaxxer, that doesn't suggest that he's really on the side of science, does it? But then you look at Seabold, and he's this guy a bit like a Madge Maguire that overtrains his team to train harder than they play. And from what I've heard, and if that's the case, how do you think that's going down with the, the Josh Schuster types? I don't see it. Well, it must be said, and I don't know if you have an opinion on this, Sander, but you know Schuster was probably not realising his potential under Des this season anyway. It just seems like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I'm not on the inside of those walls, but um, he didn't seem like he was putting in a training. He kind of looked a bit flabby, a bit Eamon Brownish, if I must say. Um, but, yeah, no, that was just an interesting one. I was, I was reading this as well. The Dravojeviches, now, apparently they attempted to get this into their contract, but um, they're obviously big fans of Des because when they re-signed, and they have both re-signed with the multi-billion dollar deals long-term, um, they wanted to get a clause into the contract to say that if Des ever got fired, that they could walk. Now, Manly said, probably not particularly reassuringly for Des Hasler, said, no, we're not doing that. Um, and they signed anyway. The implications of this could be quite interesting, right? Because clearly if, if the brothers were um, so intent on getting that clause in there, they must feel pretty close to Dez unless something's changed. This would be the final nail in the coffin for Manly, wouldn't it, if they lost Dez, got Anthony Seabold, acquired Laurie Daly and lost the Trebojevic brothers. Well, I mean, all I can say is I'm pretty sure that uh, the Roosters have space under the cap for uh, the Trebojevic brothers and uh, we, we don't welcome them with open arms. Imagine Joey Manu right centre, Tommy left centre, Teddy at the back. 
we can finally acquire you as a Roosters convert, Mario. Could you ever see it? Uh, no, I think I'd rather go for the watch Dolphins finish 16th and Manly 17th and cheer both of them rather than cheer the Roosters. You know, I don't think I've ever asked you this, and I can only assume that Melbourne's at the top. But if you were to create a sort of hierarchy of evil in the NRL, can you give us your foremost hated clubs? If you'd asked me about three weeks ago, it was Storm, absolute daylight for days and days. Then it was Penrith just ahead of the Roosters. But after the, the Penrith carry, this whole carry on with Penrith versus Parramatta in terms of the fallout after the grand final, I've now decided I like Penrith. So yeah, Roosters are number two. Yeah, it's a sort of interesting reverse psychology, isn't it? I mean, you know, uh, the Panthers uh, uh, carried on a fair bit and um, they've actually endeared themselves to, to Manly supporters, which kind of tells me all I need to know about Manly, really. I was getting, I was giving you the right of reply there, Mario, but that's okay. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> he knows it's true. That's why. As a Roosters fan, he's supposed something. to hate me. He said, the only team I really hate are the Storm. I don't. I don't really have hatred for any other club anymore. I think my most of my hatred, apart from Storm, is reserved for you know um, for English Premier League teams that aren't mine. I, you know, I mean, I hate Manchester United, I hate Man City, I hate Chelsea, I hate Tottenham, I hate Arsenal. So I'll tell you one yeah. thing that really doesn't sit well with me is the fact that it's uh, self-referentially calls itself the beautiful game. I'd like to know what exactly is so beautiful about soccer. Is it the the constant neo-Nazi references from the crowd as the soccer hooligans, the flares. Uh, I guess they say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but on this occasion, it might be two black eyes. Yeah, there's so <laughs> I have so many issues with soccer, basically. Sorry, Xander. I was going to say, to be honest, I mean, you know, call it being able to to call yourself, you know, the beautiful game. I mean, we we're not really ones to talk. I mean, I like to bag on soccer, but rugby league calls itself the greatest game of all, which which to me, I feel like, you know, we. <laughs> We're taking the piss of it ourselves, so I don't know. And rugby call themselves the game they play in heaven. And the AFL call themselves the Australian game, despite the fact they're really just Victorian. So what are you going to do? Well, the only one I will respect is rugby union there because it does feel as though you're dead when you're watching it. But look, I wanted to talk about <laughs> and get a bit of a closure here on Manly. And I'm going to uh, go to you on this one, Xander, because um, just in case it, it does turn out to be true that Laurie Daly comes on as some kind of overarching mentor, over at Brookvale, what will he bring, in your opinion, outside of, I can only imagine, some pretty acute acumen in the hairpiece department? I assume the weekly odds on, on each round of NRL. Yeah, it, it's hard to imagine Laurie just the way he is. He, he seems like such a chilled-out guy. I just can't imagine him delivering, like, a rousing halftime speech. You know what I mean? No, he, he's not charismatic. I can, I can say that. So someone could be a great as you said, an analyst, but be a terrible coach. Because coaching, for the most part, I feel like coaching is 80% man management. Again, why Anthony Seabold would be a terrible, terrible choice at Manly. Because one thing that Des seems to have going for him is I think he has pretty damn good man management. I, 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 my sense is that most players seem to respect and like him. Um, again, Mario is probably closer to that. I don't think I'm speaking out of my ass when I say that, am I? Uh, no, it seems to be. Uh, I, I do feel like most of the player playing squad really, really do respect him and want to play for him. But uh, that just didn't reflect on the field this year because they didn't want to play for the club. They didn't want to play for anyone, a lot of them. How much do you, I don't think I've ever really asked you this, Mario, but how much stock do you place in the Pride jersey 
situation actually derailing your season. It's just referenced now as though that was definitely what it was. But is there a chance that we're sort of ignoring other underlying issues there at the club? I mean, could one scandal like that really derail the season? I was a little bit sceptical of that analysis. I reckon every club has some little issues boiling away underneath, but depending on how certain things go, you're able to to gloss over them and not worry about them. Whereas that was this huge divisive thing between the squad, half the squad going one way and half the other. I think that that just all these little tiny issues that players maybe weren't bringing up suddenly all came would have all come to the fore. And so you'd, it does seem likely that without that pride jersey thing, maybe none of it ever happens and we're all fine. Do you think the squad was actually split as so many news organisations have insinuated? Oh, I think it very clearly was. You do? Okay, that's interesting. So what's the split? Is it between the players who decided to boycott the match? Or, yep. or I don't know if they yeah, decided, but and and the rest of the club? or Basically a straight sort of um, religious split, you'd almost call it. You know, that, that group that just decided not to play and the rest of them who turned up and wanted to give it their all. You know, you look at Marty Tapao was one of the ones who played, and he actually finished the season quite strongly, uh, especially by his earlier season standards. And he was still trying to the end, while a lot of the, those manly seven just straight up stopped playing. Like Ola Kawatu, he didn't play a decent game the rest of the year. Mm, and he's quality too, so it's super noticeable. Yeah, exactly when he drops right. off. I, I don't know if you saw um, like Marty Tapao though; he was filthy. Apparently, Des didn't let him out of his contract because he wanted to jump across to Para. And so when Para made the grand final, uh, I forget who gave him the interview, but he was he was talking to somebody and he, and he was basically saying, yeah, I could be in that grand final and I'm pretty upset. Maybe they wouldn't have made it with him there. Who knows? But he still, <laughs> he still put in, like respect to him, he put in the remaining games of the season even after that happened. So that's the way it should be. And it could be down to Des's man management, right? Because in the article that I was reading, he really, really wanted out. But after speaking with Des, he sort of saw it Des's way. And so, you know, there could be a bit of, um, you know, a bit of manipulation going on on Des's behalf. I don't know. But, you know, he seems to, he must have a way of his words when he talks to his players because I think Marty was pretty intent on getting out of his contract and jumping across and left the meeting going, yeah, I didn't really want that outcome, but okay. Sure. Like, like players during the Super League war who signed and then walked out going, what did I just do? It's funny you mentioned, uh, Mario, about not knowing you've signed things because I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with this. Um, I, I'm not going to call it a scandal, but it's certainly a bizarre turn of events with uh, the World Cup and the Kangaroos numbering system. Or I think, it, is it the numbering system across all the, all the countries? I assume it is. It's a tournament-wide system. But Essentially, the players won't be running out there playing in the traditional, if you're a number two, you're on the wing. If you're number seven, you're in the halves. Apparently, it's going to be a sign on the basis of when you entered the team. Um, now, Mal Meninga said something interesting today when I was reading, because I don't really have a hard opinion either way on this, um, except when you're reading the team sheet and it looks like you've had a stroke because there's numbers everywhere. Um, but he said, yeah, look, I can't really complain about it because I signed off on it a couple of years ago, but I think it's stupid. Why did he sign off on it if he thinks it's so stupid? Is Malbaninga out there just signing shit all the time about the kangaroos and not really reading the contracts or reading the rules? That sort of concerns me. I mean, it's it, it's a little bit like his political career. I think he signed onto it without really realising or <laughs> reading the fine prints and, and then thought it was a stupid idea. And um, Yeah, look, I mean, he's got form, to be fair, in that sense. Uh, 
I, I asked the question on on Twitter. Uh, you know, there was a few people um, saying that it's common the numbering system across the way they do it with squads in the UK. Um, it's just the way that uh, uh, we've um, interpreted it because you have to assign squad numbers, um, and that's how they decided to do it for the World Cup. Um, my question was, you know, what problem is this solving? I don't understand why bother making the change now. Why making this a, you know, a, a kind of tournament-wide thing? Just yeah, doesn't seem to. I'd like an answer to you know what what specifically this is helping, but I haven't seen one yet. I think I heard Phil Gould say that he doesn't mind the concept if it comes to training squads and things like that. But when you run out there, it's sort of traditional to have your positions on the back of your jerseys, and I'm sort of inclined to agree with him. Yeah, I mean, rusted on fans like us are, are struggling a little bit with the idea, and I imagine are going to struggle on game day. So I can't imagine what the casuals tuning in who may know the number who would purely know based on numbers which position you know they're not going to know the names of all the players and stuff like that how the I, I don't really understand as you said what problem is it fixing what's the reason for it i don't get it did you see a tweet today i think it was by the newtown jets no i must have missed this fill us in they they basically as a bit of a joke they said this is the team that will be lining up for us next season and they've just put all these different random numbers, like one player had had pi against his number, and one had like you know what <laughs> one over four, and another person. And then you know people had like seventy three and just different numbers like this, and it was just just really clever, good content, I reckon. Yeah, well, that is classic Newtown Jets because um, they have a. I love that club. Uh, I know I used to live in the inner west and go to quite a few Blue Bags games, but just the the weird kooky culture that they've still got around the joint, despite the fact that they, they don't exist in first grade anymore. You, you know, the fans, the hardcore fans don't know that. And I assume that the social media department still lives and breathes it um, as hard as it ever did. I, I, I love nothing better than going out there on a sunny Sunday to Henson Park and watching Newtown play another team, even when, you know, they happen to be the feeder club for South. That's obviously them at their worst. But I, I don't know if you guys have ever been out there, but there's, a guy, there's a guy every time the Newtown Jets score, he does a lap of the ground in a on a penny farthing, and all the kids chase him. That's great. No, I must must it's confess so I missed that. No, we should we should all go out there one day. It is, it's such a good day out. Um, you sit on the hill. It's very casual. It's very family. Um, they have they don't understand indexation, so you you get everything from the canteen for about a dollar fifty. Um, it's just a, it's just a good day out. Then you can go to have a have a few more at the um, the Henson Park Hotel, which is a pretty good pub as well. Anyway, slight digression. But, uh, yeah, again, I don't know exactly what this problem is solving, but I guess it's a bit of a prelude to us talking about the World Cup generally, which is something that we didn't do last episode because we ran out of time and also we thought it might make more sense to do it a bit closer to the time. Now, I must confess, I've only had a very cursory glance at the squad, so I have noticed that New Zealand, Samoa, Tonga, all look really, really competitive. Um, I haven't had a look at... I don't really know anyone in that English team because I don't really watch the English Super League, so I'm a little bit ignorant when it comes to them. How do you guys see the squads? Let's start with you, Xander. Um, will this be a tight-run thing? The uh, the Samoans are going to be particularly strong this year just because of half a Penrith in them. Um, so they're, you know you, you punch a side up like that and with uh, the likes of Luai... Um, 
uh, obviously they're going to have Crichton. Um, you know, we've we've now given them over um, uh, Suwali as well. So that's a that's a potent looking side. Um, and they're playing England in the group stage. It's actually quite an intriguing battle. Australia, despite the fact that there's a lot of players who are representing their um, uh, their heritage, um, still looks like a bloody strong side. So I think they've named their first um, uh, their their starting lineup for. Uh, the Fiji clash. So this weekend, I think it's England, Samoa, and Australia, Fiji. You kind of kind of kick off proceedings on uh, Sunday morning. Um, that side, you know, even even with them uh, resting a few players who played in the grand final, etc., uh, looks formidable. So it looks like Mal's going to go with a a bit of a um, a Queensland, uh, you know, um, a spine for the most part, plus uh, Tedesco at the back, but then putting the likes of uh, uh, Trell in the centre is, and I think he's got. Um... Was it Murray Salangi? Yeah, no, yeah, that's I mean, right. Not, not playing any um, grand final players is an interesting one, but we still have. It's. I think it's because we're playing Fiji is why he's doing that. You know, he knows we that lineup. His name should certainly still be able to beat Fiji. But it'll be some of the interesting ones. Will be who who makes the team for the following game. You know, is it DCE? Is it Cleary? Mm. Yeah, I, I think he's probably going to go. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how how it does go because um, you know he's got uh, DCE with Munster and they've got their origin combination. I think he likes the combination. So it'd be, you know, I think Cleary's the better player, but you know, Jelly Jelly Jeremy's is still an exceptionally good player, and he does have that that existing relationship with uh, with Munster. So I mean, there's an argument to to kind of stick with that whilst it's working. Well, I think both players will certainly get starts. Given our games against the, are against Fiji, Scotland, and Italy, before we get to the quarterfinals, there's no mm. there's no challenge there. There's no danger of losing a game. So, you know, he may even put Ben Hunt to start the third game in halves. Who knows? It, it, it's a bit of a mystery, and we uh, it's interesting to see which direction he goes. But I think either way, we win all three games. It's whether or not we um are doing the right thing for those players, getting the right combinations ready for that quarterfinal against, you know, a better team. I've got to say, the resting Penrith players seems like a stretch, doesn't it, when you consider that the grand final was quite a while ago now? You know, you, you consider sort of travel time. It's It's, it's been, what, two, three weeks? Um, they kind of have to get over there, um, settle in, do all their pre-training camps and things like that. They probably come a week late uh, because they're still celebrating. I, I'd say they, the Penrith players will have a bit of a truncated prep time. But that said, I, uh, the the, um, the Samoan reps aren't, aren't, aren't being rested. They're going straight into it with England. You're not going to rest your guns when you're Samoa though, right? Because it doesn't quite have the same amount of depth. But no. So it makes no. sense. When you're opening against England as well, that's a big, that's, a, <laughs> that's their key game right there. The the other one that's going to be interesting for me is is um you know just like I mean they're going to be a bit of a bits and pieces team but uh, I'm I'm keen to see how Luke Curie's going to go steering Ireland around so that's um that's a bit of a left field one for me uh, but uh, yeah there, there's a few of those sides that have got some handy players and then the rest of them will be mm. you know Super League players as well but um, there's a few intriguing ones I'm actually quite looking forward to it um, to be honest it'll it'll start on Sunday and then we'll just basically have non-stop footy for about five weeks. So, um. I'm wondering, do we think with Tonga, because, of course, they have no Jason Taumalolo, is it only for the first two games because it was a warm-up he got to use? I can't remember. But the first game is against PNG. They're, they're very, very, very strong favourites. But PNG, 
have got no slouches. Yeah, slouches. Like they're, they're listed as $13 versus Tonga being a dollar three. So apparently the bookies give PNG zero chance, but Tonga still have a pretty shitty spine. And, you know, there is still a chance they might struggle to, to you know, to get points when they need them. I don't think it's likely. I think their size and ability in other positions will get them over. But, you know, I just think if PNG could get an early lead, Tonga might not have the the spines to to guide them back into the game. There might be some panic. It could make it interesting. I love the fact that for the very first time on this podcast, Mario has veered the conversation towards sports betting. I'm, I'm actually on the phone to my bookie as we speak. Well, you, you do make a good point there. I don't think they're thirteen dollar outsiders either. I mean, we should we should call Laurie Dallin and get his, his view on this because I think he'd have something to say. <laughs> um, but uh, I I reckon that they're, they're definitely a shot. As you say, you know, what, what is the spine doing there? Um, because if they're just going to have a you know sort of a bashes on, then anything can happen. Can I just go through the odds with you guys because you've just piqued my interest here, Mario, with betting. So I'm just going through it now, and I tell you what, there's some strange odds with these minnow games because for me, them it's much of a muchness. Now I know that, as Xander said, Ireland's got the great Luke Keary playing in the halves, and Irish media. I don't know if anyone that's been keeping up with it, but they're absolutely going nuts that they've got this superstar playing for them in the green. But they're taking on Jamaica, for example, in their first game. Now Jamaica, not not a noted rugby league heartland, but uh, you know I think if you've listened to Chasing kangaroos lately. I think that you know it's growing. It's grassroots, but it's growing. Um, Twenty-one dollars you get for Jamaica against Ireland. Now, I mean, Ireland's not great. I suppose they must be thinking that Luke Kerry alone will carve them up. And they've got a few Super League players in there, I assume, as well, which might be just you know a few of the better quality ones. Brody Cross. We'll get this, Mario. I find this enjoyable. You go, all right, let's check out the team lists. Not available. That's how that's how minnow game this is. Uh, France versus Greece. You'll get 13 bucks for Greece against France, which I think there's, isn't there a couple of NRL players playing for Greece this time around? I think there is. Um, so yeah, that might be good value. And Mamzoulis and one other whose name escapes me off the top of my head. I feel like, is Billy Magulius, uh, Newtown Jets legend, is he a... Uh, he might be going there. Yeah. I think he is. I'm sure he is. Um, yeah, so who knows? I, I think there could be some options if anyone in uh, podcast land doesn't mind a gamble. But um, i got to say, I went across the squads and the squad that no one's really talked about that really impressed me, and I think they could take it all the way is the other Kiwis. So if you guys predicted a, a boil over and say that the Kangaroos weren't to win, who are the top couple of sides you would expect to be holding the trophy in lieu of them? Yeah, I think the I think the Kiwis are probably the next best. I mean, their, their forward pack is phenomenal, um, and uh, you know they're they're not exactly slouches um, in the halves either. Uh, I still I still really um, highly rate um, uh, both Kieran Foran and Nathan Brown. Uh, so I'm not sure who's starting uh, in the in, in their first match. Sorry, Brown. Yeah. Um, but you know they're, they're exceptional players, and and behind that behind that pack, and then you've got obviously Joey Manu in the centres, who I, I still think is the best centre in the game. It's, it's a very good, mm. very good, and very strong side. Yeah, and I, can, I always think about someone like um, Nelson Osofa Solomona, who goes nuts when he's playing for the Storm. How nuts is he going to go when he's playing for his country? 
Yeah, and with and with Hargraves, like I mean, they they tried to kill each other on the pitch. Um, you know, when when the Roosters and and Storm were playing each other, um, and I felt like Hargraves just got the better of them. But them playing together is is a is a slightly frightening thought. I reckon, but if they make the final, I reckon by the end they will have switched Joey Manu back to fullback because, in my opinion, CNK is a huge weakness for them and a big step down on what the other top teams are able to offer in that position, particularly Australia, obviously. I think he, he's not on that level by any stretch based on the form he showed this year, whereas Joey Manu is right up there. I think you can you can hide someone in the centres and get away with it. I don't think you can hide a sub substandard player in fullback and get away with it. I think that's New Zealand's big weakness. Yeah, big shout-out to Jermaine Asako. You know what I love about the Rugby League World Cup? Now, it cops a lot of shit, obviously, from from other sporting codes and, uh, you know, it's not a real World Cup and all this, um, which, you know, I think Paul Kent, he doesn't make many good points lately, but um, I think one that he made was was pretty salient in terms of, you know, Rugby Union in particular having a shot at Rugby League over its World Cup. And I think it's, hasn't Rugby, League, uh, Rugby Union only shared, you'd know this, Xander, I'm sure, um, the spoils over a very small amount of teams. So it's four I mean, teams. They might have wide... It's four teams have won it. So what, I mean, really, yeah, rugby league, rugby league, three teams have won it. Um, and you know, it, there's a, there's obviously a, a a fewer number of kind of blowout games these days. So there's still plenty in union. Yeah, and I guess you know to go back to my point, I think that what I love about watching the uh, the rugby league World Cup is you don't get to a you don't get to see these teams play very often, um, but b just watching two minnows go at it, it's a, such a it's such a lottery. It's such a mystery show that, uh, I don't know, I, I tune into those more than any. I remember watching one, I think it was about eight years ago, uh, and Russia and the US had qualified and they took each other on in a pool match. That was fantastic. Yeah, I do love I love that sort of thing. I, and I'll admit, in Rugby Union World Cups in the past, I've enjoyed the same sort of thing. You see two of the slightly lesser teams. Like, you look at, in, our, in this World Cup, Lebanon versus Ireland in round two. I reckon that could be a really interesting game. You, you know, Ireland probably should get the the bickies, but I don't think that's a straight up walkover. And PNG versus Cook Islands could be interesting. You know, there's a, a few games between some of those just slightly lower teams that that could you know put up some sort of a, a fun a fun um, event for all of us. And I, I just wish I they had like Ukraine see... playing uh, with Russia in this World Cup because I just think that'd be like fascinating as a contest. <laughs> like India versus Pakistan in the Cricket World Cup. Everyone loves a local derby, mate. I think that would go a bit beyond the local derby. And the problem is Ukraine couldn't field a team. They're all out in the, they're all out fighting. It's a similar situation for Russia to be they're all you know they're either fighting or they've left the country <laughs> to, to go to a neighboring they the, the Russians that'll be playing for neighboring countries. I knew we'd get back to Russia eventually. I think this is the thing we should throw out to the to the pod. You can't pick any of the first string teams. Out of the second string teams, which ones do you think would be the most likely to win? Are you, you, so tier two, are you saying Tonga and Samara are ones we can pick as second string or are you t- more talking, you know, Fiji, PNG? Yeah, you're right. You've, 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 you've picked me up on my very vague terminology there. Yeah, so let's rule out uh, the emerging ones as well. So let's not – you can't choose Tonga, you can't use, can't choose Samoa, um, New Zealand, England, Australia – so you've got okay. to go to the next I'm, one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick PNG to go ahead of Fiji. Yeah, there you go. I think yeah, Fiji. I was just tossing up in my mind between Fiji 
I'd probably go PNG as well, actually. What about you, Xander? Yeah, I'm going to be terribly boring and agree with you guys just because they've got such a, a strong rugby league culture there. Um, you know, that even though it's uh, it's not uh, the same professional standard, um, it is quite literally a religion over there. They go pretty nuts for it and um, they do have the, the hunters in the competition. So I just think that they've got a, a stronger heritage of, of play and understanding of the game. Please tell me Jacob Ollum is fit and healthy and ready to play. Justin Ollum, I believe he is. Sorry, did I say Jacob Ollum? You did. Yeah, sorry. I feel uh, like Jacob look, Ollum is someone. I wonder if they are. He's got a brother. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure he is somebody, but um, I don't know if he plays for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well put, Sander. I've been uh, caught in my own web of lack of logic here. Um, I did also want to... Because I tell you a, a, a combo I wish we could have seen in this World Cup, but it's not happening, is Ireland versus France. I feel like that would be a really interesting game. They'd both be on that sort of next level, similar to where, you know, just a bit below PNG and um, Fiji, but I think that'd be similar enough that it'd make a really cracker of a game. I'm actually really Am keen I to wrong? see how the French go because the French have had two teams in the Super League uh, recently. I think um, I think they've just been knocked out, but they had. Um, they had uh, uh, the Toulouse Olympic side in the Super League this year, um, along with the Catalan Dragons, um, and so I'm wondering if they'll have a bit more of a, a bit, a bit more depth in their playing stocks. Are they populated with French players, though? They have a fair few, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the I Toulouse they had a fair side, few imports. Well, they, the the Catalan Dragons does, but le- less in Toulouse. Oh, Look, okay. honestly, if Bevan French, if Bevan French isn't playing for France, then there's something wrong here. It's a shame. He fits into that category of player where you feel as though if they just actually practiced this weakness in their game, they could have been a very, very good player. But they decided yeah, not I, to. They go, I'll just lean into my strengths. I, I was for, for the Roosters, our example is a man by the name of Ryan Cross who just was quite good with the ball in his hands. But my God, he couldn't tackle to save his life. I, I'm fully imagining Jason Saab playing on the other side of the field from Bevan French within a couple of years when Manly work out what he is. Man, he does struggle with in defence. He's the sort of player that can be hidden when your team is really good. You know, he could be, you know, he could be the Charlie Staines role and do better than Charlie Staines. <laughs> but you know, playing for Manly when they weren't going well, it, yeah, he he got shown up. Guys, we're going to finish the pod uh, just on the Parramatta Eels uh, because we've laughed at them already a little bit during this pod, so it seems fitting that we'll actually talk about them to end. But obviously, there's been a lot made of the the exodus of players. Um, you know, a whole bunch of them are going off to Canterbury, a couple of the good ones. But they've obviously been playing it down. I know Brad Arthur's been playing it down and, um, you know, a number of people around the club are. And they asked Gutho and he said, look, you know, it's, it's going to be fine. You know, we've got these great players ready to step up. It's the perfect time for a lot of these senior guys to leave. But I thought it was really interesting. It's always great when you get a player that just expresses complete candour. And uh, this week it was uh, Dylan Brown who said, uh, it feels like our whole team is leaving. You know, we don't have any superstars left. But we've got a lot of effort players, effort-based players around. And, you know, we play for our families anyway. I mean, that's... That doesn't instill a hell of a lot of confidence. Dylan Brown's obviously feeling the exodus. Um, and it's a, you know what? 
Dylan, you're not playing for your families, but half your team are obviously playing for money because they're fucking gone. So that's not right for a well, start. But anyway, well, they, I just were. To... They, were <laughs> they were at one point. I guess they are playing for their families. They're trying to earn. So that makes sense. Uh, but certainly not playing for the jersey. But uh, I, I love that candor. But to me, I want to see if you guys agree. Uh, are Parramatta stuff? Is the window closed? Yes. I've said it. Yep. <laughs> no. That's all I got. And that yes. ends the pod. <laughs> the, the window is closed. They're not gonna. They're not pushing for wooden spoon like a few certain teams. But you know, Parramatta might find a way to scrape into about seventh or eighth. But I don't think they will. I I see them more in that nine to ten range for next year. Uh, maybe something will change. Maybe the Travoyevichs will go there, and you know, we'll we'll end up stuck with Gutho to replace them. Who knows. <laughs> and the Dolphins obviously shooting for the halves, apparently, um, if you believe all the paper talk. Wayne Bennett going after Moses and Dylan Brown. Um, they could be left with, yeah, just a shell of a club. And, and it's funny, isn't it? When you hear, I mean, for me, I don't express it this way. But when someone says to you they're an effort player, most of the time they're saying that in a sort of pejorative sense that, you know, they don't have actual talent, but they try hard. Um it's not that thing, again, that instills a lot of confidence. If you go, well, if this club has a hell of a lot of effort players around. You want superstars as well. Yeah, well, the, pro- the problem is their, their superstars are, you know, Regan Campbell-Gillard is a really, really good prop, but he's not a game changer. Moses and Brown, both great on their day, but they're just not quite as consistent at being great as Cleary or DCE or Hunt are. You know, they're, they're really, really good players. But they both do, you know, have been sort of gone missing in big games just that little bit too often. I think, you know, they've both now played some great games in big games. But, and, you know, Gutho, call yourself the king all you want, champ. He's not a superstar. He's just, he's just that guy that people pay, that people pay attention to because he annoys a lot of people. He is definitely an effort player. He's got some skills. I'm not saying he doesn't, but he's never going to be on the level of, Latrell, Teddy, Manu, Tommy, various others. He's an effort player like Dylan Bre- Dylan Edwards without being as good at it as Dylan Edwards. You know, you know the, the, well, the guess... best. Sim- so just just really briefly, the the uh, the best indication for me that um, the uh, premiership window has closed is <laughs> um, I saw an article in the Raw arguing that this Panther side actually isn't the greatest Panther side of all time. Uh, because they had such inferior competition to play against. <laughs> and they, they specifically say, if you look at uh, the Panther side of 2003 and the 1990-91 sides, you know, they had to play, uh, you know, incredibly dominant Raiders and Roosters sides, respectively, uh, as opposed to this side, which um, uh, managed to scrape by by winning a, a South Sydney side that uh, scraped into the, um, uh, you know, into the, the final series last year um, without Latrell Mitchell. And then this year, a Parramatta side that probably didn't deserve to be in the top four, uh, which an interesting argument. But um, if we're talking about premiership windows, uh, if that's the way we're framing the success of the Panthers side, it doesn't say much for their future. They turned up like they were there to play on the day and no one was touching them. The, the, Stor- the Storm or South could have been there playing their absolute best game. They showed the week before what happened what happened to Souths when Souths turned up ready to play and played well. Penrith still just walked over them and laughed at them. Yeah, although did, did Souths play well? I don't think they really did. But... Look, they started really well, but then Penrith just dominated the game, and I don't think Souths had the opportunity to play well after that. 
I remember watching that game and I realised after 12 minutes, South would definitely lose because everyone had their hands on their hips and they went, we're buggered. They just looked buggered from the 12-minute mark. Yeah, like they uh, tried. That's not a good they sign. Went out, they went out giving it their all, but they just didn't have the the effort. And with people like Latrell, who clearly didn't have the fitness and the student watched a lot of the time, how, how are you getting the energy out of the rest of the players? That's it for this week. Join us next week when we discuss... Uh, Mario's left nipple. Funny that he said that. I could just, I could currently discuss my left nipple because it seems to be getting affected by rubbing up against the inside of my running shirt a lot more than my right nipple is, and so it's actually got. So, a bit to be clear, I, did, I didn't bring this in for this episode. This was meant to be a teaser for next week, Mario. I assumed that we'd all, that that Eamon had stopped the recording at as you finished, and that this wasn't going to air. Oh no, this is all going to air. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs>